Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different starting over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. Today on Starting Over with Shannon, we welcome Kristen Such. Kristen is a confidence and mindset coach for women and entrepreneurs who are ready to heal their self-doubt, show up confidently so that they can find deep fulfillment and start or grow their own business. She's passionate about, quote unquote, helping people overcome themselves so that they can step into fulfillment. That's something that we go on to discuss in the show. While her business focus is on coaching female entrepreneurs in particular, I think that what we actually discuss on this episode can apply to a lot of us. In the first part of the episode, we discuss Kristen's own spiritual development journey, which started with the difficult divorce of her parents when she was a late teen, and then her own starting over story after being chronically dissatisfied with all of her positions in the corporate world, which led her to take a chance, face her fears, and pursue her passion in starting her own business. In the second part of the episode, we discuss specifically how to build confidence, how to heal or connect with our inner child, and how to overcome perfectionism while understanding the roots of all of these behaviors. As you know, on this podcast, we go to the causes, not the symptoms, and that comes up time and again. And of course, it comes up again here. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please click follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really does help. And come and join me over on Instagram or on TikTok. Yes, I said TikTok. I can't believe I just said that. Didn't think I'd be joining that one, but there we go. Starting over with Shannon is the name that you can follow me on over there. But with no further ado, here is my episode and podcast with Kristen. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me here today for another episode of Starting Over with Shannon. I'm really happy we could make this happen. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk today, Shannon. Thank you. I, uh, it's funny, you're one of the first people that I I messaged last year. I stumbled across your Instagram account when this was the start of the journey for me. And I was like, oh, I've got to speak with this girl because so many of the themes that I try to distill through this podcast and through my own social media accounts are so aligned with what you're doing. You know, the self-development, yeah. spirituality kind of mix and yeah, very aligned. So very happy we're doing this. Yeah, I'm so excited. I think our audiences, both of our audiences are going to find a lot of value from this. And yeah, I've looked a little bit at your podcast and you have a lot of similar topics. So I think it's going to be really good. Great. Well, I wanted to start with a comment about one of the things you said in your bio is that you're passionate about helping people overcome themselves so that they can step into fulfillment. And what I wanted to ask you first is, what does it mean to you to overcome yourself? Mm -hmm. This is a really good question. So a lot of times what I find is actually, I think everyone can kind of just do some self-inquiry here. We want to make a change and we have all of these excuses why that we can't do it, right? It's almost like we're, we're in this cage, but we only have the key. 
And when you realize that you have the key to step out of the cage, you are free and you're a sovereign being and you can actually create whatever you want for your life. And so by saying overcoming yourselves, it's really mean like mastering your mindset to see the world as this abundant place and see it as your oyster rather than your cage. And I think that a lot of my audience, I'm sure a lot of your audience are listening to this because they want to make a change. And so many times it's like, I want to make this change, but I went to school and I, I have this corporate job and like I need to pay my rent and we have all of these things. But if you actually ask yourself, is anybody actually holding me at this thing? Is anyone telling me I actually have to stay here in this relationship, in this job? What you'll find is nobody's actually holding you there. So long-winded answer, but overcoming yourself means taking yourself out of the cage that you put yourself in and really creating the life that you desire for yourself. Yeah. And I, I completely resonate with that because mindset, I'm increasingly realizing myself, is so integral to not only success in what we choose to do in our professional lives, but also in terms of our joy and peace and meaning and all of the good stuff in in all assets of our lives as as well. So yes. a thousand percent. What role do you think that your thoughts play in that in particular? I'm gonna be on, you know, maybe one side of the spectrum and I say I think that your thoughts play the biggest role in everything. And you know, the reason for that is because our, our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our beliefs, and our beliefs create the action that we take or the inaction that we take, right? And it all starts with a thought. It all starts with one little thought. And that thought is your mindset, right? It's how we kind of, the view that we have a, about the world. So I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, if you at the root of it and don't believe in yourself, well, you're going to procrastinate and you're not going to take action. But it, at the root of your mindset. If you truly believe in yourself, if you truly think like I'm unstoppable and I can make anything happen for me or even close to that, maybe it's not like all the way there, but you're like, I think I believe in myself, right? I think I can make this work. Then from there, you're actually going to be more likely, if not just you're already going to go ahead and take action because you think you can succeed. So of course you're going to take action. So that's just a small example of like how one little thought like, oh, I can do this or, oh, I can't do this can really stem out and create action or inaction. So a lot of the times, you know, people come to me and they're procrastinating or they're having perfectionist tendencies and they're like, I need to overcome this, but that's actually the symptom, right? We have to actually deal with the root. Yes, absolutely. I think that has come up on so many of these podcasts that I've done in terms of us looking at and trying to treat symptoms rather than root causes. And I think we have that in all aspects of our society, you know, our medical industry, our healthcare, wellness, all sorts of ways. I'm curious what this, your own personal journey before we go into some general kind of tips and what you do in your coaching business and, and so on. I will start with a quote from one of my previous guests, actually, who this resonated with me greatly. She said, the wisdom is in the wound. And just because we consider a situation to be disastrous or chaotic or bad or whatever in some way doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And time can give us a lot of perspective in, in that respect. And once we go on that, that journey, I'm wondering for you, do you agree with this idea that we need to see and feel our wounds, our pain in order to heal properly and then live a kind of meaningful and our best life, basically? A thousand percent. I think, you know, 
at this, I'm getting pretty deep here, but I think that all of our, our, all of us, we come to this earth school to really learn the lessons that we're meant to learn. And these lessons, unfortunately, are learned through pain and trial and error and hardship, right? And so I think I would add on a little part of that quote, but it says, the wisdom is in the wound if you choose to find it, right? Because finding the wisdom in a wo- in the wound is a choice. And that's what I really, I think the most important part of that is like, you know, one of my favorite quotes or the things that I teach is like, pain alone is pain, but pain plus reflection and understanding is wisdom, right? So the wisdom is in the wound if you choose to find it. <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing a lot of um, personal responsibility themes, which I, I do personally agree with, but I can imagine a lot of people are like, oh, because it calls them out, right? It calls you out when you realize that instead of blaming other people or making up excuses and justifying your circumstances and so on, it's like giving you, it's empowering on one level, of course, when you realize you can take action yourself, but then it's also that kind of like, oh, geez, uh, I, yeah, calling me out a lot. In your personal story, was there a time in your life where you weren't so, let's say, oh, self-aware and where did this come in for you? Yeah, I think that we probably all have that, you know, time in our lives where we were just so much less conscious than, you know, we were. And I'm sure I'll look back at this point in my life and I'll say, wow, like I was so much more less conscious than I was in two years, right? So I think it's a ever-evolving journey. But to be completely honest, I think my journey started a lot younger than most and not because I'm special, but because unfortunately I had a tough childhood. (laughs) But I think that my journey started, you know, when I was around 16 and I started working with a therapist at the time, but she was actually also an intuitive and a, you know, very spiritual woman. And she kind of saw this transition that I was going through and I was having my own personal spiritual awakening. And she kind of took me under her wing and um, that's how mine started, really. Mm-hmm. And I think your question was like, you know, was there a time where you were a lot less conscious? And I think for me, I was always pretty conscious, but I think that the biggest differentiation for me is like I was not really willing to take responsibility through the years of, I would say like 16 through 22. I was just kind of doing what all 16 to 22 year olds do and trying to fight this part of myself that. I knew was my truth, but it would made me different. You know, I'm very spiritual. I'm very into the energetics and a little woo woo as, you know, the normal people would call it. And uh, I think I suppressed this part of me for a long time. And it wasn't until I fully owned it and did the work to own it that I had to be more conscious and kind of care a little bit more and take more responsibility. I so understand you on that front. I was saying recently, I think to my partner, I felt reticent about saying spiritual in or using the term spirituality even with this podcast and now I am absolutely owning it but I think it was a lot of fear of judgment and that wasn't within the kind of circle the people that I was associating with and I had a lot of fear around that like so many people I'm sure can can imagine that was there anything in particular you'd say as an an event or an experience you had if you don't mind sharing that kind of prompted this spiritual awakening path for you Unfortunately, again, I think it is the wounds that really push people on their spiritual path. So for me, the reason I was even in therapy at 16 years old, which is pretty young, I think, in retrospect, um, was because my parents went through a pretty nasty divorce. And I think that my mom saw that I was, you know, not dealing with it very well. I was a very angry teenager. I was 
very passive aggressive. I didn't really know how to move through my emotions very well. So that was probably the thing that really sparked it. But looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine if my parents like didn't get divorced, like where I would be right now. You know, it just it's such a beautiful part of my journey now. But it couldn't always say that. So I think that definitely just my parents going through, you know, I don't have to get into the nitty-gritty details. I feel like, you know, it wasn't the most terrible thing. I know a lot of people have gone through worse things, but for me, it was just, it was a really formative time in my childhood that it happened. And I think that I was just didn't have the figures that I needed at the time that were going to help me move through my emotions and emotionally regulate and understand myself. Mm. Well, thank you for being honest about that. It's it's not always easy, but and not, not also to minimize anything that you do experience. Because I think we often do that like, oh, somebody else has it worse than me. You know, we often mm-hmm. do that, but we can't compare in that way. You know, it's like what is difficult, what is difficult for you is legitimate and that's real and you deserve to explore that and to heal that. And I mean, it's wonderful now that you can see that as such a gift and an opportunity that you had to grow and evolve into a beautiful, self-aware, intelligent woman. That's that's really that's really powerful and beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And thank you for revalidating that. You know, I know I kind of did invalidate myself there, but I think that's, you know, me still owning owning what I've been through. And I think that's a journey for all women. You know, we always, we often minimize. But just to, something I'm really, really called to share to both of our audiences is the way I teach trauma. And, you know, I obviously, you probably know, I do a lot of like the inner child work and stuff is anything that you are not prepared to feel. And I think if you use this definition of trauma as just like anything at all that you were just not prepared to feel in your life, then it gives you the gift of validation of like, oh, you know, even if I just was somebody bullying me in middle school, I wasn't prepared to feel that. And that is trauma for me. So Mm. you and only you get to decide what was traumatic. And I think that is your power. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Unfortunately, I think that is becoming increasingly recognized in that in that sphere of literature as well. You know, with definitions of trauma going from, you know, an accident that left you disabled versus now this an overwhelming event or experience that you could not handle at the time. That's exactly it. Uh, totally. Yeah. So what has, would you say that this divorce experience was the biggest kind of starting over that you had where you changed significantly who you were or was there something else perhaps the work-wise that set you on a different path? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, that was the starting point, but it definitely wasn't my starting over point. My starting over point for me was definitely when I decided to quit my corporate job and I truly made a experiment out of my life. That's what I was doing. I was like, I am so unfulfilled. I was so unhappy. I had tried so many different areas of the corporate world. You know, I went to supply chain, to finance, to, um, what did I do? HR. You know, I really tried everything in the corporate world, but at the end of the day, I would still come home every Friday night and cry. And every Sunday night I would cry because I didn't want to go to back to work. And I was, you know, that was just my soul telling me like, this isn't the right path for you. Um, and so I think for me starting over was when I really decided to quit that. And I, at the time I became a full-time yoga teacher I didn't have a plan other than just teaching yoga, but I took that year of my life and I just dove so deep into myself and figuring it out and figuring out what I want to do with my life. Um, And I think that was my starting over point. Yeah. And it's really interesting you say that about giving yourself a year, because I think so many of us, when we're going through a period of difficulty and then subsequently a period of uncertainty, 
we are we do not know what to do we're uncomfortable with that and we feel rushed to sort it out to find a solution so that this doesn't exist anymore but i think actually having the courage to stay open during that time to not pressure yourself into having all of the answers and allowing yeah allowing that space for let's say even your intuition to come in or whatever your heart is desiring and really explore what it is that you want without all of the noise of other people's opinions or societal conditioning and all of those other things to strip that back and yeah, and really give yourself a chance to explore who you are at your core a thousand percent and i think that that is one of the biggest thing that people are missing when they're looking for their purpose. It's like they put so much pressure on themselves to find it the first time. It's like, well, I want to quit my corporate job, but what if this isn't it? And I'm like, what if it's not? Then you keep on trying, then you keep on looking. And you know, if I look back at my journey of finding my purpose, I think the only real thing that I did, like strategically, quote unquote, besides, you know, I really, it was a very much a journey of just following my soul. But the only strategic thing I did was Every single time my soul was telling me no, I pivoted and did something different. And I was like, okay, this isn't it. I got more clarity. Great. Let's go on to the next thing. Try the next thing. Okay, this isn't it. It's not feeling good. It's not feeling right. All right, the next thing. And really just giving yourself like that grace and space to get it wrong. Like getting getting it wrong takes courage, right? And I think that if you have the courage to get it wrong, then you're going to find your purpose. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm curious to hear what your take is on what spirituality means to you or what consciousness means to you, because I'm hearing you say, you know, my soul and so on. And I think that maybe for some people, they're not fully stepping into that. They don't know what that is, or maybe they feel like they do have some kind of intuition or inner knowing, but don't know what that is and don't know how to separate that from mental chatter or anxiety and all the other things that could possibly surround that. Yeah. So the question is, what is spirituality to me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's like such a loaded question. I think, you know, there's so many different ways that I could answer this, but I think right now what's coming to me is just spirituality is really uh, living from your heart and letting your soul lead the way and being the creator of your life at the end of the day. You know, we could talk about, you know, what I believe in higher powers and all that stuff. And that's, I think, a part of spirituality as well. But I think at the root for me, it's being a co-creator of my life. That means that what I do today is going to affect my life tomorrow. It's not like life is just happening to me. It's not like I'm just going to wing it and see where I end up. I get to decide where I end up. So for me, just spirituality is a lot about being a conscious being, uh, learning from your past experiences, taking the wisdom from the wounds, as you said earlier, and just having a say in how your life unfolds. So you were saying about being in in co-creation. Well, I guess the question is, who are you co-creating with? with? This doesn't need to be, you know, a big discussion about whether God exists because or what, you know, that would be really difficult. But just the idea of is there some other higher power or consciousness, something external to you that you feel like guides you and guides others in their lives? A thousand percent. And you know, I think that for me, I call it God or the universe, you can call it whatever you would like. My spirit guides, I believe in angels. I mean, I'm probably like, I'm very, very, very woo. <laughs> I, I believe in all of it. But for me, it's like co-creating with the universe. The cons- universe is conspiring for my greatest good and I'm conspiring for the universe's greatest good. And when we're in co-creation, I can create whatever I want for my life. 
that also means that I'm fulfilling my soul's destiny and purpose. And I believe that this is my soul's purpose to be teaching all of these very spiritual topics and teaching people how to relieve themselves of the victim consciousness and step into that sovereign consciousness that I've been speaking of. But at the root, you know, even if you're like not resonating with the word God or whatever you believe in, I don't really think the word matters personally. But what I really want to encourage your listeners and my listeners to really understand is that if you do believe in a God, and especially the God that we are just kind of, I think, conditioned to believe in, you know, the God created the heavens and the earth, and then he said, let there be light, like this God. If you believe that he created us as a part of him, don't you think the part of him has the same essentially gift of creation, right? Would you tell a rock that it's not a part of the mountain? I think for me, that's the biggest reason I believe in co-creation and manifestation is because if God created me from a thought, as the Bible says, right? then don't you think that the thing he created has that same ability to create with thoughts because it's a part of him, right? And so that was one of the biggest, I think, like spiritual moments for me is when I realized like, oh my God, I do have the ability to create because I'm part of God and, you know, God has the ability to create. So that was like my big, like, holy F moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I find it really interesting because like speaking with Americans, I grew up in Australia and England mix, and we just honestly don't have the same culture about speaking whilst it's still Christian predominantly. Of course, with multiculturalism now, it's, it's so many religions, but I didn't have that same Bible studies and acceptance of God and speaking about God in the public sphere in the political world and so on. That's that was very different. But it's wow. uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I do so I do find it interesting to see people who have come towards spirituality as being something different to the religion. You know, even if they did grow up like say familiar with Christianity or so on, that it's actually it's becoming something else than that. But anyway. Let's go into a little section on building confidence. So I want to do a few bits about like building confidence and some inner child work and so on. So let's start with building confidence as this is one of your key areas, right? Yes. Yes. So first, what is the most common problem or question that your clients bring to you? Yeah, I think it's like, how do I build confidence, really? Or And there, there's so much I can say about confidence. Like, confidence is a very in-depth topic for me, but or in general, I think. But I think it's something that would be helpful is the biggest myth about confidence that I hear is people think that confidence is loud and in your face and kind of just out there. And I really believe the opposite of that. I believe that confidence is a very quiet energy. It's an energy that says, you know, I like me, so it's okay if you don't like me and I approve of me. And so it's okay if you don't approve of me. And I really like this path. So it's okay if you don't accept or like this path. And so I think at the end of the day, we need to rewire our thought about confidence, about just kind of being sure of ourselves and trusting ourselves rather than being like loud and out there. You know, you can be very a quiet person and you can be reserved and you can still be a confident person. Absolutely. I was somebody who was branded as being quite confident growing up, predominantly because I was extroverted. 
I would say. Mm. I was the kind of girl, I was I was comfortable in social situations and talking to new people like on this podcast, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting up on stage and singing. But actually, I realized, I think if I had a more complete definition of confidence, I would have realized actually what was lacking because I was like, well, how is it that everyone can see me as being confident and I can be confident in these social situations, but then I am plagued with really common, frequent self-doubt for instance. Surely that is linked to confidence. How And, and how do these go together? And I think realizing as you're describing that confidence isn't the loudest voice in the room. In fact, it's often the opposite. The person who is the loudest voice in the room is the person with the greatest insecurities and the person with the greatest need of external validation. Yeah. And I think a really amazing point that I would like to share about confidence is that confidence isn't never feeling self-doubt. Confidence is feeling self-doubt, but having the courage and the self-trust to do it anyway. And confidence is also the reward for doing it anyway. Confidence comes from overcoming hard things and from coming out the other side and being like, damn, yeah, I did that. You know, I I really do believe in myself and I, I can do something else that's hard because I just got through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the tips that you share with your clients about building confidence if that's something they bring to you? Yeah, I'll give area? you like the the surface level and then I'll give you like the deep shit because I'm a pretty deep person. Um, Go deep. So, I'm so deep. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So, you know, like there's obviously people are going to want the quick tips. We like our society is really into instant gratification. So I'll start by giving you guys some small tips um, and then we'll go into the deeper stuff. So small tips is really, again, getting out of your comfort zone. I describe it as three zones for my clients. It's like we have our comfort zone and then outside of the comfort zone, we have the growth zone. And then outside of the growth zone, we have the panic zone. A lot of times what happens is people will push themselves into their panic zones and then they essentially, their nervous system can't handle it. And they're like, they never want to go back there. And that's why they are unable to move forward with whatever goal that they have for themselves. But what I really encourage you to do if you're trying to build confidence is stay in that growth zone. So the growth zone for me feels like, oof, feels really hard, but I can still do it, right? It's like, I still feel okay and safe to do this because I know that I can get through it. So that's kind of what the growth zone feels like. So really easy tip for building confidence is staying in your growth zone. If you can really stay in your growth zone, you're going to build confidence pretty, pretty quickly. Now, if we're talking through, you know, the deeper stuff, the truth is, is every baby, every human was born and nobody comes out the wound having all of these insecurities and doubts about themselves. We all come out of the womb, very worthy, authentic beings, right? It is our conditioning and our past experiences and the situations that we've been in when we were younger that really shape our beliefs about the world. And all of these beliefs are formed in childhood. For zero to 14, even up to 21, 23, it can be early 20s as well. All of these experiences are really shaping our beliefs in ourselves, our beliefs about the world, um, just our beliefs in our mindset in general. And so The reason I use inner child work to deal with confidence is because if that's where the confidence was lost, that's where we have to go revisit to regain that confidence. A lot of times I'll say maybe actually, no, yeah, I will say every time confidence, lack of confidence comes from 
childhood. It comes from somewhere in our childhood where we we were told that we weren't good enough. We were told that we are not worthy or deserving or we're not as good as other kids or people, whatever that might have looked like. And there's thousands and thousands of situations that that could have unfolded, whether it's in school, in your family, if you were bullied by your siblings, if you were bullied by your friends, um, by teachers, sports, like there's so many places that that could have unfolded. But really, if you really want to get to the root of your confidence, you have to do this internal work and look at the painful times of your childhood which is why I use inner child work and really go reparent that inner child, the child self that still lives in you that didn't feel good enough or was hurt by other uh, people's opinions or views or beliefs. And that's really the true place that you can give yourself that confidence back. Mm, absolutely. And I'm I'm in full agreement with that. I really do think that this inner child work is is really necessary. So let's go into a little bit on that. Some people might be listening and going, okay, I've heard this before, even if they don't know the details, but I've heard this concept before. I'm generally on board with it. And I think other people, and I have heard this, be like, what are you talking about? Like, I am an adult. I'm not a child anymore and do not have an opening to that. So <laughs> let's kind of go, let's th imagine we're also talking to some of those people and say, what is the benefit of doing inner child work? Yeah, that's a great question. And so just again, to recap inner child 101, your inner child is your child self inside of you that still holds all of the beliefs, all of the programming, all of um, the confidence that your child self has. So essentially from one zero to 14, sometimes 21 to 23, like I mentioned, we are forming our beliefs about the world. And the reason that that's happening is because in these times, our brain is forming. And while our brain is, brain is forming, we're actually living in the theta state or the subconscious state. This is the state that really holds all of our beliefs about the world. And even today, as an adult, your brain operates 95% in the subconscious mind, 5% in the subconscious mind, or 5% 5 5 in the conscious mind, which is why that's the reason that really your inner child is holding your beliefs and your confidence with the world. So that's kind of who your inner child was. I hope that was a good description of it. The benefit of really doing this inner child work is because your inner child, again, it holds all of the programming, the past experiences, the confidence, um, the limiting beliefs of that child self. So when you go back and you reparent and you revisit this inner child, you can actually rewire how she or he thinks about the world, right? So if they lost their confidence, if they learned that they were unworthy, if they learned that they were less than because of their skin color or because they weren't as smart as other kids or because of whatever reason that society and culture told them, then you're able to go give yourself what you needed and you get to take your power back and essentially change the way you end up if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And the way that you currently operate. And yes. I think that's the thing for people to actually dismiss it. It's like, no, this is very present because as you had stated, the vast majority, 95%, I think you mentioned of who we are is, is subconscious. We're not aware of it. That's by definition, it is not in our current awareness until we bring it to the forefront as well. And I think, you know, that could be, let's say when you were a child, you 
when you, let's say you had a mum and a dad at home and your mum and dad often argued and when it got to a moment of heated, escalated conflict, your dad would always leave the room, always. He wouldn't address it, I'm not doing this, and go stone cold silent. Now, you may have then unconsciously picked up a pattern of behavior whereby in your romantic relationships or perhaps even in your platonic relationships, you then, when in a conflictual situation, you shut down. And you may have not realized, but that might have been cut, that might have come up because let's say you are in a romantic relationship and then your partner says to you, every time we have to, we try to talk about something, you just go cold on me. And I think it's those moments where somebody might be like, okay, I recognize this pattern is currently disserving me. Where is that pattern coming from? And then you will find you need to retrace your steps back to what you were conditioned to be from the experiences in your childhood. A thousand percent. You said it so, so beautifully. Like that, that, that was just such a good example of how these patterns arise. And I think the best part of inner child work for me is that it gives you a reason why you are the way you are. It's no longer like, well, that's just the way I am, or, you know, that's just the way I handle conflict. It's like, no, you can actually trace it back to one specific reason why you handle things that way, or you were shown to handle things that way. And then you get to say, no, I'm choosing something differently for myself because you're aware of it now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, I don't know if you can say this from your own experience, but, you know, I've been on this journey for maybe three years now where I've been regularly seeing a counselor and going to retreats and workshops and reading about these subjects and so on. And I feel like each time I have a little piece of the puzzle and every time I add to that, it it is really beautiful. Like there's something in it. Sure, it's it can be painful at times when you're going in it, but afterwards you realize like, gosh, I have so much more self-awareness and understanding of my patterns of behaviors and I feel more free and far less limited in my life. Yes. Yes. And it I gives and me I th- so much power. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's no, not surprising really that so many people like you, like me, who've had some of these experiences and start this journey of spiritual and personal development want to share it with others. Why do we want to share it with others? Because we can see how powerful and life-changing this stuff actually is. And we're like, is anyone going to listen to me, please? <laughs> Yes. Or at least I do. <laughs> yeah, I know that I feel the exact same way. You know, I think that especially how my soul operates is like I know I go through things so I can teach them. It's just it's always been like that for me. It's like I will have issues with self-worth or confidence or being seen. And now it's like the exact thing that people come to me for. So I think that there's an opportunity, you know, there's so many conscious beings. And if you feel called to share it, it's like your your voice deserves a seat at the table. And I'm sure people, I know people need to hear this message. Yeah. So let's go to some strategies or let's say some activities or whatever that you do that people can take on board, listen to now to meet with their inner child. Yeah. 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 So there's so many ways to, to connect with your inner child. I'll start at, you know, step zero. You know, if you have, you're like, okay, like I don't even really know where to start. I'm not really trying to go too deep here. A really easy way to connect with your inner child is to simply look at pictures of your child self and just remember what she was like. I love asking my older sisters what I was like as a child. And it's so healing for them to tell me, you know, you were really fearless. You were so confident. You would talk to anyone. That's an easy way to connect with that. The most authentic version of yourself is that child self, right? Before we're conditioned, before the world told us who to be. 
The second really simple step, if you're just like, I just want to like dip my toes in is following your excitement and your joy. If you've been around kids recently, I think that we all can agree that they just like are excited and joyful about everything. They're just like living in this like beautiful life that's like all everything's exciting. It's like we're going outside, excited. We're going to eat a snack, excited, right? And so a lot of my uh, clients, they say, you know, I don't really remember much of my childhood or, you know, I don't really, I don't know how to connect with that inner child. And I say, I tell them just connecting with the feeling of excitement and joy is like one of the best places to start. So even if you don't remember what you liked to do as a child, you can say, what would it be exciting and joyful for me to do now? Is it going to the beach? Is it going on a trip? Is it going to a pottery class? Is it going to the zoo? Whatever that is for you, you can go do that thing. And that is going to be just connecting you with that like joyous child-like self. And then, you know, to go a little bit deeper for the people that are like, no, Kristen, like, give me, you know, I'm ready. Like, give me the deep stuff. I'll give you the next step from that, I think, is just creating that daily relationship with your inner child. So a really, really good place to start is just to think of a painful experience in your childhood or your teenage formative years and simply journal about it from that versions of you's point of view. So, you know, you could journal on for me, it's like, I could journal on the time when my parents were getting divorced. And I was just, I felt like nobody was telling me what was going on. I felt very in the woods and I didn't know why my dad was never around anymore. And, you know, I didn't understand what was going on. I just, I didn't even have the words to explain what I was feeling at the time, but I was feeling a lot. It can be very healing to go feel those feelings for that child self. So essentially starting to write a letter as your child self from a painful situation. What you can do then is write a letter back to your child self as your parent, as the person you are today, as their parent, and give them what they need from that situation, right? So if we're talking about my parents going through a divorce, explaining what's happening, saying, you know, you're no less loved, this isn't your fault, I'm still here for you, you still have me, you're always going to have me, and really just like reparenting her and giving her the support, clarity, understanding that she never received in that moment, that can be really healing. The next step for me I teach really through meditation and hypnosis going to visit that inner child because since she does in the subconscious mind, it's like we got to go back to the subconscious mind and change your beliefs there. So I do provide, you know, if you guys are are interested and I have a inner child meditation that is, you know, ready and available that you can get on my Instagram. And I think that that would be like the deepest that you can go because then you really get down to that subconscious layer, all those repressed feelings, and you can bring them to the surface, feel them for your inner child, give her the things that she so desperately needed in that time of her life. And that's when she like, inner child work is really the process of changing the emotion around the event. It's not changing the event. It's not like you know, this didn't happen. Don't worry about it. It's not like tricking or anything. It's just changing the emotion around the event. So if I had a lot of misunderstanding and sadness and loneliness around that divorce, then I can go visit her and give her understanding. I can give her companionship. I can give her um, unconditional love and support. And she would feel so much more confident, right? And then that's going to come out in my adult self. Mm. That is also the basis of a lot of psychological techniques now. It's becoming more heavily researched and understood. I remember once I did a technique with a psychologist called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. 
it yes. was I it was some sort of trauma based work. I had never heard of this before. And I remember turning up and be like, oh, okay, let's let's give it a go. And the psychologist had me tapping on, on each shoulder. Couldn't understand particularly why, but let's go with it. Okay. Um and I recounted a memory from my childhood that was painful to me at a time when I felt unsafe, when there was conflict with somebody in my family, and I think somebody was trying to throw something at me, felt very uncomfortable and scared. And then the psychologist supplanted herself as such into the memory and then inquired about what I actually needed in that moment. And it was actually so therapeutic because it was like she said, I'm going to come and sit next to you. I'm going to say this is this is not okay. What is happening? I'm just going to be here for you. Is it okay if I put my hand around your shoulder? Would you like a hug? You know, just little things like that. And I was like, I think at some point I was bawling out, the eyes out crying and, but really realizing how powerful that is to connect to it. So now, of course, that's something that you do with somebody trained in this space. But I think it helps if you can't connect with memories, if you don't have a lot of memories of specific things in your childhood. Something I have realized is if I'm triggered in some way, if I'm acting and I suddenly get irritated or I suddenly get very sad or some kind of sudden reaction that feels a bit bizarre on some level, I've realized if you adopt a curious mindset and just like, why am I reacting like that? And you just make a note of it, you know, just make a note that that happened. It's something that you can come back to later. You know, I realized today, this is kind of still a vulnerable thing, but I have, I'm small chested, basically flat chested. And it was a big insecurity for me through all of my adolescence. And I think like so many of us in school, you remember those horrible remarks that somebody makes because they hurt and they cut you at a time when you are seeking to fit in and to be accepted and loved. And it's such a vulnerable kind of time in your life. And that came up as a joke, really a light joke from my partner who loves my small chest. <laughs> um, but I realized that I suddenly felt really bad. She was super triggered. Yeah, I was super triggered. And I actually went quite quiet. I didn't call it out because I knew, I was like, I know that that was completely a joke. And it was kind of said with love. We spoke about it afterwards, but I was like, wow, that shows that that was still a wound for me. And some, it seems minor, but it's like that, that changed the course of my day. And I had to realize, and I think the time of, so what would you say in that setting, let's say somebody else listening to this has an example like that, where they suddenly go, oh, oh, that blow hurt. What could somebody do in that moment to soothe, to self-soothe? Such a good question. And thank you for getting vulnerable and sharing that. You know, I think a lot of people are going to relate. I know for me, it got the wheels turning and I was like, yep, I've had that situation come up with my partner as well. Um, when they don't know something is hurtful, but it's like an old wound. So a really easy way to kind of see what the root of what is going on is saying, what what do I actually need from my partner right now, right? Is it like understanding? Is it validation? Is it like knowing that they actually love you for who you are, right? Because like, actually a better question to ask yourself is what is the unmet need that I'm feeling right now? And knowing, understanding that like underneath that hurt is actually just an unmet need that your inner child needs from you, right? And so pen to paper is going to be a great place to start, especially if you're just starting out on this journey, just kind of understanding. 
The next thing is identifying the emotion. So for you, like even like, let's just do like a mini coaching session right here just to show people what they could do. So what emotion were you feeling in that moment when he called, he said that, you know, that you were flat chested or whatever in that lighthearted moment? I think embarrassment or shame. Sometimes it's so bloody difficult to work out how you're feeling, right? Yeah. And (laughs) I think it's very healing for your inner child just to name what you're feeling. Yeah. But I think it was embarrassment and shame and this feeling of like, I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then wanting to retreat somehow, Mm -hmm. a feeling of wanting to to withdraw. Yeah. And so a simple question that you can ask yourself from there is, when was the first time that I felt embarrassment, shame, wanting to retreat about this certain situation as well, right? Just kind of trying to root it back. That's a really simple, light way to try to find the root of it. And, you know, you could also identify your needs there, but really for you, like you would be able to immediately be like, oh my God, the first time that I heard that, I was really hurt. I might've been in middle school or high school and like, that's why I'm so hurt now. And then you'll have more understanding for that. So even just identifying the emotion, saying I'm feeling shame, embarrassment, and then saying when was the first time that I felt this way about something similar that happened? Mm-hmm. I think I think people will understand what I'm saying on this front because I've heard it many a time, but being able to understand something intellectually is so different than emotionally. So like even in this setting, my partner could tell I was a little bit off, but I didn't want to say because I was like, I'm being, I'm overdramatic, let's say. And I knew, I knew that there was really nothing in it. And I thought this will, this will blow over. I don't need to have a big thing about this. Um, And we ended up doing it only because he noticed that something was off and was like, just let's get it out in the open. What is it? And it very much surprised him because I think he was anticipating something way worse than actually what it was, which is can often be the case too. But it was like, oh gosh, how do I, I know that it's, I know that it was said in jest. I know this, I know that, I know that, but I feel like this. Right. And it's actually like making space for those emotions and and not dismissing them or burying them or swallowing them away or definitely. And I think that that is the biggest thing about inner child work. It's essentially feeling the feelings that maybe we were never allowed to feel. Does this that make sense to you? Like you simply feeling those feelings of shame and embarrassment fully can be so healing for your inner child just because a lot of times when we feel them when we're younger, we also feel shame about feeling those feelings. So we push them down even more and they become embedded in our body and they're essentially repressed, right? And so that can be so, you know, you don't have to have a sounding board as your partner, but let's say that you weren't comfortable, let's say that he was a friend and you weren't comfortable having that conversation with him, even for you to just go in your room and like, essentially cry and feel and understand like, oh my gosh, this is a past wound, but I just need to cry it out right now. That would be very healing for your inner child because you're grieving for what maybe she never understood or got to grieve. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And really just like making space for that. It came up a lot on a retreat that I did actually, which was amazing, a five-day kind of spiritual retreat. And a lot of what we did was was inner child work. And I remember having this moment, it was so emotional when you realize, and this is with you know, people who were like 50s, 60s men, all just such a mix. And everyone in that moment, you know, you'd look around the room 
And I could see everyone's child in a sense, you know, like that person who was very rigid and was the top performer and the CEO of a big company, but always had to stand there with his arms crossed all the time. But actually what he needed to know was that he can, it's okay to let go sometimes and he doesn't need to be the man now who takes responsibility for everyone and everything so that the world feels safe you know, or the other woman who was very, very quiet and didn't feel like she could take up any space because she always had to be the person who was at the corner of the room and she was never granted space to be herself and she was shut down when she was trying to get up and sing and dance or have a good be a part of an interesting conversation and was constantly shoved away to the side and when you see those things and I saw that so tangibly in this room of people you're like this is so so present and we cannot deny that you know people have become the way they are over time and sometimes just that little shake or that little it's okay you can let that go it feels terrifying I gotta say (laughs) like that's the other side of it there's parts of it that are really really scary but it can be make room for such expansion and growth and a feeling of ease and authenticity and I think so many of us are actually seeking to feel authentic and we actually just need to remove all of the barriers that we have put there or other people have put in front of us towards that authenticity that we so deeply crave yes yes like a thousand times yes and I think inner child work is the process of coming back to your whole authentic self. It's really remembering who you were before the world told you who to be and how to be and what to be, right? It's really being like, no, I get to be in charge of who I become and I'm going to essentially heal these barriers, break down these barriers so that there's room for me to be actually who I'm meant to be. Yeah. Let's do a quick word on perfectionism, as I know that this is something that you speak about a lot in your online presence and in your coaching business. Are you a perfectionist? Uh, I think I used to be. I don't think that I'm a perfectionist now because there's no room for perfectionism in entrepreneurship. It's so much messy action. And I, you know, that it's been a long journey to say that I think I've over, I'm in the process of overcoming it almost completely, but um, I definitely was in the past. Yeah. Ditto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a little bit less on the journey, but that's uh, absolutely the the present struggle for me. So maybe there was some irony in that I chose entrepreneurship and now I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, entrepreneurship is essentially like just signing up to take messy action every day and not even knowing if it's the right action, but like there's no room for perfectionism. <laughs> yeah. I There's something I wrote down from you that that I really liked and you said the root of perfectionism is fear of disapproval and judgment of others. Truth is, you don't want to be perfect. You want to be accepted. I loved that. I loved that because I know that I'm a perfectionist. I know that my wound is low self-worth. I know that I seek external validation. I know that I seek success to feel good enough, etc. But I think if somebody asked me, do you think this should be perfect? I would say no, because I would know intellectually, but it can't be in what is perfect anyway. How much more perfect can I make this essay? How much more perfect can I do my makeup or my Instagram or whatever? You know, but I So I think you actually identifying that as being approval based is, is really powerful. Yes. Yes. It is. It's again, it's perfectionism is the symptom. It's not the root. The root is that 
somewhere in childhood, you were judged for not being good enough, or you were disapproved of for not being good enough, or you were shown that, you know, if you do, don't get all A's, then you're, you're not, you're not a straight A student. And, you know, I think it's really important to just point out because I don't think everyone, everybody realizes, but our society is just breeding a whole bunch of perfectionists and it's not your fault. It's not, not your fault, but it is your responsibility to heal it. And if you look at the school system and, you know, the work environments, like perfectionism is just a badge of honor, but it's nothing to be proud of. Like not thinking that you're good enough, no matter what you do is nothing to be proud of. Just think of, I don't know how, you know, you grew up in Australia, but for the American school, it's like you, if you get all A's and you're on a honor roll, you get a certain breakfast. You're invited to this, like this event, you know, you get a star on the board. You know, it's very obvious if you were the best in the class or the worst in the class, you know, you never wanted to be that person that like got extra time on the test or needed to retake the test or whatever that looked like. And what that does is for all of these just young, you know, innocent, uh, formative brains that are forming, it really says like, if you're not the best, you're the worst. And that really um, manifests as perfectionism of like, nothing I do is good enough. If I'm not the best, then I'm not going to be approved of. All of this really just creates a fear of judgment, a fear of fearing disapproval. And then that creates a perfectionist, a human adult. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever considered, because I personally never felt like I was, say, overly pushed by my mother. I didn't grow up with my father, but my mother to achieve highly academically. And I did. Notwithstanding the fact that I totally agree with what you're saying about the societal pressures and the culture, the wider culture, because we are so it's so integral. Of course, you can't, you know, remove yourself from that. It is inevitably shaping who you are. But I felt like by doing well and receiving certificates or medals or whatever it would be, that was validating me. So flipping it into the positive, which was actually because I was doing well and I received praise for it, then that started this perpetuating cycle, which was that because naturally if you do well somebody will say great job mm -hmm. so I think yes. I think there's a shift now in saying like praise the process not the outcome you know that was a common exactly. one when I used to teach like what is the effort behind this not so much what the result of your actions are and exactly and I think that you hit the nail on the head like that can create a very uh a human that's just a perfectionist as well is like if they only got praised for you know being the best or doing you know getting the best outcome, then what are you think they're subconsciously going to really understand about the world? Again, we're creating beliefs about the world when we're younger. So your belief would be, okay, getting an A equals praise, you know, being the best equals praise. And the opposite of that is not being the best doesn't equal praise, right? Not being the best equals shame, right? And so it's really important to know that also when we're um, forming or we're in our formative years, our inner child doesn't really think logically. They're thinking in very black and white thinking. So that means, you know, we can't logically understand, well, like, oh, well, obviously my mom is just proud of me. You know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that if I get a B, I'm any less worthy. We can't think logically like that yet. Our brain is forming. It's just like A equals praise. B equals not praise. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very black and white. Hmm. As somebody who is a 
self-declared, almost recovered perfectionist. Mm-hmm. How do you pursue excellence while letting go of perfectionism? Yeah, that is a really, really good question. I think it is a process of understanding that I am worthy regardless of what I do. It's taking my worthiness and separating it from my work. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. When I'm teaching people how to overcome perfectionism, the first step is really sitting in the discomfort of not doing things perfectly, right? So if you're a perfectionist, and this is a really small example, and every single morning you have to wake up and you have to make your bed and you have to do things in a certain way before you feel like you can have a good day, that would be a pretty extreme perfectionist. You know, the work would be like kind of not doing that routine, maybe leaving your bed unmade and then sitting in the discomfort. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but being like, I am no less worthy because I didn't make my bed. You know, I know this is uncomfortable, but I also know that it doesn't mean anything about me. And so I think for me, almost recovered perfectionist, the work for me is just like in my work and in my coaching business, it's like my achievements don't make me any better or worse of a coach. The number of clients don't make me any better or worse of a coach. It's really like reclaiming my worthiness and worthiness can't be can't be earned it can only be remembered mm. and then the specific pursuit of excellence would you say i mean i don't know if you actually identify with that but i mean just generally doing a really really good job at something would you then say that that is coming from more intrinsic motivation like i want to do well because i enjoy what i I'm doing and I want to be the best that I can be and I want to challenge myself, you know, coming from some place that is honoring the worthiness that you're describing. Yeah. And I think that for me, it's, it's, it, it, it is kind of who I am. Like it's, I, I hate to say this because I think it, it is, is a little contradictive, but it's like how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, I can, I can, for example, finish something and just be like, you know, that was good enough. That was that was good enough. And I feel good about what I did without me being like, oh my God, I think I could have done better. You know, it's just like now I feel feel I've gotten to the point where I really believe that anything that I do is just enough. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if, if somebody else is maybe trying to pursue that excellence, it's like you can do it, it at, at the end of the day, I ask myself this. Did I do the best I could? If it's a yes, then it's like, okay, well, then that's good enough. I don't need to try to do the best that anybody has ever done. It's just like I did the best that I could in that moment with the tools that I had. Yeah, love it. (laughs) And why do we want to minimize our joy anymore anyway? Because that's the only thing that rampant perfectionism does for us anyway. It robs us of feeling good about whatever we accomplish. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm going to move into final fast few questions here before we wrap up. So I first wanted to ask you, is there something that you used to believe that you no longer believe? Yeah. So I think I used to believe that in order to make a change, I needed other people's approval or validation. And I think for me, it's like, I no longer believe that. I think that I only know that I need my own approval. I need my own validation. I need my own belief in myself. And that's all that I need. 
in order to make a change. And so I think for anybody listening and they're like, well, I really want to, you know, quit my job. I want to become a coach. I want to become a podcaster, whatever they want to do. And they're seeking the approval of others. I just want to remind you that you don't need their approval to do it. You don't actually need it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Second, what is one quote or affirmation that resonates with you that you would like to share? Mm, so I think for me, the my favorite affirmation at this moment, and I think it releases resistance for how you think life should be. So especially if you're an entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur, and you think you should have more clients, you think you should have more money, you think you should have anything, any shoulds. I love saying the affirmation, you know, this moment is perfect. Everything is exactly as it should be. And that just reminds you that, you know, everything is perfect. It sounds so like cliche when I say it out loud, but it kind of reminds you for me, what it means is like, I read this book once and it said, when you, when you resist the present moment, you resist the entire universe because the universe knows exactly what it's doing. Right. So when you remind yourself, like this moment is exactly as it should be, you release the resistance of like, it should be different. And I think that that has been really healing for me. I love that. Lastly, what is one piece of advice you would give to our listeners who are on or want to embark on this journey to meet their inner selves and do some inner child work, let's say? Yeah, I think that for anybody who's really wanting to just be more conscious, be more spiritual, go meet their inner self is don't overcomplicate it. I think that there's so much information online and on the internet and it's like all of these really, you know, complex tools and different ways that you can do all of these things. And, you know, they all cost money and it it can be really overwhelming if you're just starting. But I want you to know that just sitting with yourself in silence, closing your eyes before bed, putting your hands on your heart, asking yourself, what do I need from myself today? What am I feeling today? Um, How can I support myself in this moment? That can be extremely healing and is so simple is completely free and i just think that sometimes we overcomplicate the healing journey but at the end of the day it's just being present with ourselves and honoring our own needs i love that thank you very much for sharing with me on this podcast and being so open and helpful i really thank you so much for having me shannon thank you Thank you for everyone for listening to another episode. I hope that this inspired you to continue your journey of connecting with your inner self, building self-awareness, and quite frankly, living a life full of joy and meaning and purpose. Please share the love by sharing this episode with somebody who you think might be interested or otherwise would love it. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week.